Planning a trip to one of the great national parks? L.L. Bean went to the experts at the National Park Foundation to get the inside scoop on which parks are the best to visit in each season. Whether you're looking for outstanding scenery, smaller crowds, or unique activities, L.L. Bean, be an outsider. To check out the full list of recommendations, visit llbean.com explore. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod, and we're here to talk about our pregame for Wisconsin. Before we begin, I'd like to thank a couple supporters of the show, Kirk Zimke, who sent us a one-time payment via PayPal, uh, put down appreciate great content. Thanks so much, Kirk. We've had a ton of fun putting out the new content and what we've been doing throughout the years. Also, another donation from Doug Kopp. Thanks again. And uh, we appreciate that. And if you want to support the show, we really appreciate it, obviously. You can go to tffinots.com support. There you can make a monthly donation, Patreon, or you can go to that same site and donate through PayPal or Venmo. All right, so let's talk about the Wisconsin Badgers, who the last few episodes, Rod has pointed out that Michigan State is slowly turning into Wisconsin, at least from a profile standpoint. Well, I don't want to take it too far. <laughs> I'm just saying the profile is more similar than I can ever recall right. in terms of what these teams do well and what they don't do well. And, and, some, and those things are actually, in many ways, good for Michigan State. I think, you know, we look at turnover percentage. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. So Michigan yeah. State is heading back on the road after, I think it was six straight home games, uh, going to Madison yep. on Tuesday to face the Badgers, who are, along with four other teams, tied for first place in the Big Ten. The Badgers are 11-3 and on the season, 3-1 and in the Big Ten after just coming off a defeat at, at Illinois on Saturday. They're number 54th in Ken Palm. Uh, in comparison, Michigan State is up to number 40 now. Uh, the Badgers are 98th on offense, but 26th on defense in Ken Palm. On offense, they do a couple things really well. They don't turn the ball over, which is sort of par for the course of them. They're 8th in turnover percentage. And they shoot the three-pointers really well at 37.3%, which is good for number 42 in the nation. But they're not a good offensive rebounding team, and they're sub, which is sub 250 nationally in uh, free throw attempts, and two point percentage. So it's kind of a weird sort of uh, offensive profile. Defensively, they're very good. They're good uh, against the. So they're number 50, 151 against twos and one was six against threes, but they're a very good defensive rebounding team, and don't give up second chances. Uh, and then they don't foul a whole lot. And then they have, again, this season, excellent free throw shooting defense. <laughs> Teams only shooting 65% yeah. against them. And just like last year, they are a team that seems to be pretty good in close games. They're winning a lot of those tight games. And, you know, we kind of attribute some of it to luck, but if there's obviously more than just that. They're, uh, they're uh, in many ways kind of like last year's team. Yeah, they, they are. Um the, with with one big exception, and I think it's going to prove to be a, a significant difference. You know, you, you mentioned the close games, and, and they're doing well in that category again, but 
they got a long way to go. And looking at the way the Big Ten is this year, I saw Izzo give a, a post uh, post game uh, line to Jimmy Jackson about how he thinks there's going to be a lot of these. <laughs> a lot of games like yesterday was for Michigan State, and that's true for everybody. So they probably got a lot more close games coming. The big difference, obviously, is that they don't have Johnny Davis. Right, yeah. And and I think, you know, that was that was a weapon that not only would be great for any team to have, but was very unusual for Wisconsin to have that kind of player, a guy who could go get his own shot, was really dynamic offensively. That's not typically what Wisconsin has. They're typically, you know, a system team. We we've seen it for 25 years now, you know, um, their bigs and their, their guards tend to invert a lot. So they have guards that are capable, low post players at times. They have big men who can shoot the ball. They run a lot of clock. They don't make mistakes. They make you beat them. They don't tend to beat themselves. Um, that's kind of the standard Wisconsin formula. And that's what I think this team this year currently has last year. They had a, a, a bailout option in Johnny Davis. And with that gone, um, I suspect that we're going to start seeing some of these tight games, maybe go in the other direction. Maybe not. Maybe Greg guards figured something out that the rest of the world hasn't, but I, (laughs) I don't, you know, I think he's a good coach. I don't think he's that good. And, uh, we'll see, but I, it's a weird thing because for years, years and years and years, people were really, I'll admit when, when Ken Palm first came on the scene, I partially didn't trust it without looking too deeply into what it was actually telling us because Wisconsin tended to be ranked extremely high, no matter what was happening on the floor. Now we know under Bo Ryan, they never had awful seasons, but they had years that were better than others. And it didn't seem to matter. (laughs) So it made me wonder like, what is, is this system just overvaluing, not turning the ball over? I mean, what was driving it? And yet you look at this team this year, having a pretty good year on the court so far, and they're only 54. Yeah. It's an interesting team. You know, as you said, they do two things well offensively. They don't turn the ball over and they shoot the three very, very well. Although that's really, that number is really driven by, by two or three guys. It's not like we've talked about with MSU and we're going to take yesterday's performance against Michigan out of the equation, but you know, with MSU, as we've talked about, one of the things that can make them really hard to guard is they've got so many legitimate three point threats. Wisconsin is not that way. It's really three guys, two starters and their sixth man that kind of drive that they don't get to the line at all, which is interesting because other Wisconsin teams of the past have been better in that category than this one is. So again, kind of like Michigan state, if they're not successful from three, if they're not getting a lot of production from there, it can be hard for them to score a lot because they don't have post up threats. Well, I shouldn't say that they have one post up threat, Tyler wall, Mm -hmm. but it's not it's not consistent it's not at a high level like some other teams in the big 10 that have you know a legitimate five man that can do that and they don't they don't get anything really in transition of course and they're not getting to the free throw line very much 
So if they're not getting three-point production, as I say, it could be a little bit of a, a struggle. Defensively, it's weird because they rate very highly overall, but those numbers, especially against twos, are not spectacular. They're okay. Doing other things, the defensive rebounding is important, and that's a Wisconsin staple. They Second shots are hard to come by, and so that's a, that's a big deal in and of itself. And then, obviously, they do not foul people which is also a Wisconsin staple. So the things that you expect them, a Wisconsin team to be good at, they are. You know, they're good at those things, and that's been enough to drive them. It is worth noting before we get into the player discussion, uh, Tyler Wall hurt his ankle early early-ish in the game against Minnesota and then didn't play at all yesterday in their loss in Champaign against Illinois. So something to watch. I am assuming he's going to play just based on my reading of the tea leaves from the way Greg Gard put it. Greg Gard said he was improving but wasn't ready to go yesterday. So I think it is a shortish turnaround, only three days between the games. So maybe MSU gets a break, and for the second year in a row, they don't see Tyler Wall in the game at Madison. Um, if people remember, he didn't play in that game last year. Malik Hall had a field day, um, and MSU ended up winning that one at Cole without Tyler Wall out there. But I, I'm even though he was in a boot yesterday, I'm, I'm not going to read too much into that. We're go, for the sake of this preview, we're going to assume that he plays. If he doesn't, suffice it to say, it's a big loss because he's their leading scorer and their second leading rebounder. So yeah, you wonder with uh, with the angle if. Even if he does play, how if how much he plays and if he's as effective, There's too, that right? Too. I mean, that's an right. unknowable. Is he reduced in effectiveness if he sees the floor? Absolutely. What do you, what do you attribute Wisconsin? Before we talk to the players, what do you attribute Wisconsin's free throw defense? Right. I mean, it, this is like the second year in a row where teams don't shoot free throws well. I mean, you, luck. I, is it just pure luck, or is it well they're just yeah, fouling the right be. people? Or, sure. You know, is that part of it? Ah, uh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't buy into that. That that would be remarkable if you were able to target the guys you're fouling that efficiently. No, I think it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty clearly luck, you know, good for them, but <laughs> you know, that's another thing that can turn around on a dime. Oh, sure. You know, yeah. uh, we just, uh, human nature is such, and you know, this, that we, we tend to want to, our, our impulse is always to have, cause and effect an explanation yep. for things. And sometimes there are things that just, just happen Yes, and aren't controllable. This is one of those. Yes. In physics, we call it entropy, right? All right. So let's, uh, let's talk about the players for Wisconsin. We'll start with Chucky Hepburn, six, two sophomore from Omaha. He's averaging a little under 13 points a game on 41, 50, 71 shooting. And he's really, become a quite an offensive weapon for the team this season. He's also leading the team in assists uh, with a better than two to one assist to turnover ratio and also has about two steals a game. I have to admit I was, there was a lot of hype before last season, his freshman season coming out of Madison around Chucky Hepburn. And he wasn't a super highly rated recruit. I don't, I'm not even sure. I don't think he was a top 100 guy. And if he was, it was just barely. So I was a little skeptical. And then last season, you know, they started him because they really needed to. And I thought the first half of the season, he was very, very unimpressive. But I do have to admit, in the back half of the year, he started shooting the ball much better. 
you know, went from a liability in that area to, you know, a semi strength. I thought, okay, well, maybe he'll be all right, but I still wasn't fully bought in. I'm bought in now. He's done it long enough that, and, and his shooting has just continued to elevate. I mean, you said he's 50% from three. That's not on a low volume either. He's taking, I believe he's taking about four and a half attempts per game, somewhere in that range. So this is a guy who is a legitimate threat. He does all the other Wisconsin, Wisconsin, because of the, the offense they run very rarely requires, they don't require a true point guard the way say a Michigan state does. So you, you never tend to see Wisconsin guards in the upper echelons of the, uh, of the assist rankings in the league because their offense doesn't function that way. So this team, for example, he leads it in assists, but it's only by two over their center, Stephen Kroll. So that tells you a little bit about how it functions. But Hepburn fits the mold of a lot of very good Wisconsin guards of the past. He's a shooting threat. He doesn't make mistakes. And though he's not going to put up huge assist totals, he does do a good job moving the ball, finding people when the opportunities present themselves. And he's a solid defensive player. You know, there's nothing you're not going to be wowed by him, certainly as, you know, a guy who steps on the court and he just has that it factor. It's not that, but he's just steady. I mean, I think about guys like Jimmy Jackson's kid. Um, Jordan Taylor. I mean, there have been a ton of them. I can't even think of all the, all the names, you know, Brad Davison. There have been a lot of guys at Wisconsin who have played this way at, to one degree or another. And it, it does look like Hepburn is the next one in line as a sophomore. So the next guard is Max Klesmit, 6'3", junior transfer from Wofford, averaging 6.9 points a game on 43, 40, and 73 shooting. Uh, but Obviously, if he only scores seven points a game, he's not putting up a lot of threes. He's he's been a good addition for them. You know, again, you never know how the the guy from mid major works, how it plays out when they transfer up. He's he's figured in pretty well for them, but mostly for the defensive presence he brings. You know, he has been an effective shooter. He just doesn't take a lot of them. And the next is Jordan Davis. Twin brother for Johnny Days, who graduated into the NBA last season. He's 6'5", junior wing, uh, averages 7.1 points a game on 43, 34, and 58 shooting, uh, pulling down 4.3 rebounds a game. You know, he's not obviously a dynamic player that his brother was, but he's certainly emerged as a much better player and improved from what he was the first two years. Yeah, and he, he showed glimpses of this, but, you know, the, the natural comparison, because they're the same age, and to have two sets of twins like this at the same time is is unusual in the league. Yeah. The natural comparison for me, at least, is to compare them with the Murray twins at Iowa. And I think in terms of their collegiate careers, the comparison between the better brothers, between Kenyon and, uh, and Johnny Davis was pretty close. They were both first team, all big 10 guys last year. The comparison starts to fall apart a little bit. Now that we've gotten to the, the second of the twins, because Chris Murray's having a great year statistically at Iowa has really elevated his game where, whereas in this case, it's not quite that level of production, but the fact that he's able to be an effective starter is still a pretty good deal. 
So I don't mean to bag on him. I just think he's obviously not at the level that his brother was. And it looks like probably won't be ever that kind of score. Do you know if he's a mirror twin? Did you? I mean, I didn't realize that until this season that that uh, the Murray twins were mirror twin, identical twins. So Chris is a lefty and Keegan was a righty. Is, I did not. Or Johnny that. and Jordan that way. That's I don't. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That's an interesting. Huh. That's interesting. No, I had. I had not heard that actually. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I would watch them play uh, in Iowa last season. I'm like it, and then I, I rec- I pick up the fact that their shot looked different, but I just didn't. It didn't. You know, because they looked about. You know, they looked identical, right? So you kind of forget who's yeah. who when they're shooting. I just didn't pick up the fact that one's a left and one's a righty, which apparently happens with identical twins. Sometimes you have a mirror twin, which one is lefty, one's righty. This, uh, see, I'm, see, listeners, you learn something, not just basketball. <laughs> we'll go on to the next one we talked about before. Tyler Wall, 6'7", senior. Uh, he missed you know, the Minnesota, most of the Minnesota game that ended up being a very tight, only three-point win for Wisconsin. Uh, and then, of course, the loss at Illinois. He leads the team in scoring at 13.2 points a game, shoots 42 21 and 67 second in rebounding at 6.4 game and he's the one who's tough guy to cover he's very clever and getting angles and things like that scoring inside standard issue was i mean (laughs) he's a wisconsin Wisconsin player right (laughs) yeah wisconsin's got a guy who does a lot of things tyler wall does pretty much all the time and it's often somebody with his profile i I can't remember for sure. I'd have to look back at it. I want to say he came there as a preferred walk-on, but if not, if he was a full scholarship guy right away, he was not a heavily recruited player. And it's just, uh, you lose track of how many times they've, they've done this kind of thing. It's, you know, it's a credit. Look, it's a credit to the program. You know, Bo Ryan built and Greg guard has, has continued without a ton of changes it really is. Uh, you don't keep producing this year after year after year without it, without it reflecting positively on the guys running the program. And I think, I think at this, you know, Greg guards had kind of a, a bumpier ride. Certainly mm-hmm. he hasn't had the highs that Bo Ryan had, although to be fair, it took Bo Ryan quite a while to get, you know, to even get to a final four, he eventually got to two of them, but um, it took him years to get there. But Greg guards had a bumpier ride to be sure with, you know, players leaving the program and, you know, guys pot shotting him on the way out the door. There was that <laughs> a, a year or so ago, yeah. um, which is weird because he doesn't, he doesn't seem to me to be a guy that would, that would be a boat rocker at all. But, um, in any event, you got to give him credit. Wall's a guy who's fit that mold to a T. He's just developed, got better and better every year. If they're missing him, that's a big blow because they've got guys who physically can fill that role, but they don't have guys who do, can do what he does. And what he does is very, very important at both ends. He's also a very good, very versatile defender, too, on top of the, the statistics that you mentioned. Um, the only thing he hasn't been able to do, and it's what prevents him, I think, from being like a first-team All-Big Ten guy, is he's never been able to really dial in the deep shot. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's something they've worked on, and that 
that is kind of surprising because that's also a Wisconsin specialty. Although, in fairness, I think they tend to recruit guys who come there with an ability to shoot, but, you know, post players who can do that. And Wall obviously wasn't that. He's never really been able to develop it. So in some ways, he's kind of he's kind of like a um, you think of him a, a little bit as a uh, a junior varsity sized uh, Ethan, Ethan Happ. Happ. Yeah. To use a, a recent example where Ethan Happ was just a tremendous player, but the one thing that limited him is he couldn't stretch the floor. And when Wisconsin's at their best, typically, you know, they, they might have all five guys that can force you to guard them on the arc. And you don't have to do that with wall. He's the one guy in the starting lineup. You just don't worry about, um, but it'll be interesting to see if he plays and, and if he does, how effective he is or isn't. Uh, because he's a big, big part of what they do. No question. Yeah, I was just, you were just talking earlier about um, Ben and guard and, well, and Bo Ryan. And I, I think, you know, it's a little bit of a preview of what happens when Izzo leaves. You have a guy who follows, you know, guard was by all means, he seemed fairly successful. And he just was under a lot of pressure with the, the fan base, you know, to, to be more successful yeah. than what he was. And well, you know, Dick Bennett's the one who really started this whole thing with Wisconsin, started the program, you know, actually being relevant from a basketball standpoint, yes. you know, followed by Bo Ryan. How much did Bo Ryan deviate from Dick Bennett and, you know, as it transformed? Because it seems like guard is pretty much an extension of Bo Ryan. There's not a whole lot of difference in as far as how they play. What, what do you think the difference is in the games? I think, you know, I think the some things were the same. The, the guard Bo Ryan transition is seamless because guard was an assistant right. under Bo Ryan for years, but there was no connection between Ryan and Dick Bennett. Dick Bennett played. There, there are some base similarities, you know, um, for sure. The pace, the, the, uh, the, the style of defense where, you know, the pack line stuff right. was somewhat similar offensively. I think there were differences. Dick Bennett, didn't run the inversion stuff that um, that Bo Ryan favored. It, it, there, there were differences. There were differences there, and it's it's kind of like it's gotten a little more disparate now because Virginia has changed, especially on offense, how they play in recent years. But for a long time, if you think about the Virginia of seven, eight, nine years ago when Tony Bennett was first having success there, it looked a lot like. Dick Bennett, Wisconsin, just with a little better talent, mm -hmm. but, but I can understand why people might, might make the comparison because the defensive emphasis and the pace of play was always similar, you know? So it seems, if it seems like Wisconsin's been playing games in the fifties for 30 <laughs> years, it's because they have, <laughs> and not all of that was not all of that was Bo Ryan, but, but I will say this, you're absolutely right to say that Dick Bennett was the guy who changed the trajectory of Wisconsin basketball, Wisconsin basketball for the first 20 years that I was paying attention to the big 10 was a joke. They were right there. Just a, just a shade better than Northwestern. Right. Yeah. Typically it was, you could pencil in any year, Wisconsin nine Northwestern 10 in the standings and you'd have a good shot at being right. That's, that's what it was like. And there was no consistency, no direction. Um, they had a brief period of a couple of years where Stan Van Gundy was coaching them and he brought in some higher level talent, 
I'll use the words brought in advisedly. You can fill in the (laughs) blanks on that. Didn't really work. You know, like the highlight of the first 20 years I was paying attention to Wisconsin basketball was Michael Finley, who was a great offensive player, ended up with a nice NBA career. He went there and, and Wes Matthews, I guess, who played with magic on the Lakers for a while. That, that was about it. They, they had no success. They didn't make the tournament. They never made the NCAA tournament during that period. Not once. Um, and then Dick Bennett came in and showed that, oh, you can be a good team and make the NCAA tournament at Wisconsin. You know, he had the one final four run in 2000, but if you look at the, the years before that year, the years before that in the big 10, they were a good team. They weren't a great team. Bo Ryan really took it to the next level because he actually started winning big 10 championships, right? Which was something that even Dick Bennett hadn't been able to do. So it's pretty remarkable to think about it because they've just kind of become this staple that you know what they're going to do. You know how they're going to play. They're not going to be very exciting, but they're going to win a lot. And they're going to be very consistent in the things that they emphasize. And it's been that way now for a long, long time. And, you know, it's funny to me to think about somebody in their thirties doesn't really know much except Wisconsin basketball being good. And it's not that way for you and I. I remember Wisconsin basketball being god awful. Yeah, well, and and football too. Same thing. I mean, the, their, the ascendancy of their programs were about the same time. Story. Yeah, but Barry a little before football was at the leading edge. But Barry Alvarez shows up there in the early '90s, and again, it was the same thing of football. You could usually pencil in Wisconsin ninth, Northwestern tenth, <laughs> yep. year after year after year, and have good chance of being right. And then Barry Alvarez shows up and changes the trajectory of the football program. Well, let's finish up the starters. Uh, the last one is Stephen Crowell, a seven-foot junior, averaging 12.5 points a game on 50, 29, and 65 shooting. Leads the team in rebounding at 6.9 a game. And is also, as you mentioned earlier, he's second on the team in assists with a little over three a game. Yeah, this is standard issue Wisconsin big stuff. With, with the one caveat that Kroll came into – Wisconsin with the reputation as a big man who could shoot, yeah. which again, they emphasize in recruiting. They, they recruit to that skill set for their big men. And he hasn't yet. I thought last year he was showing signs of starting to break out in that area and become the kind of shooter they, they typically want. And then it, it hasn't continued this year. He's sub 30%. So he's a guy who's, he's right at that edge where you don't necessarily want to let him shoot wide open shots, but you're also not going into the game terrified of what he's going to do from out there, you know, unless it's just an outlier kind of game, but he's, an, he's evolved into a nice player. You know, he can do some things in the post a little bit, passes the ball very well, decent rebounder, you know, gives him a physical presence around the rim, not a big shot blocker, but just a big body there. So, um, Again, standard issue, Wisconsin. They always seem to have a guy like this. So then we'll talk about the reserves. First will be Connor Isijan, 6'4", freshman from Indiana, averaging 10.1 points a game in 22 minutes a game. And he's the other one you're talking about who shoots really well. He shoots 44, 44, and 96. Yeah, it looks looks to me like them. Wisconsin doesn't typically get guys out of Indiana. So that's a little unusual for them, but boy, it looks to me like they got a steal. This is another guy wasn't heavily recruited. You know, I I don't even think either of the in-state schools offered him. 
um, in Big Ten schools, that is, in Indiana. Uh, Wisconsin gets him, and as a freshman, he's he's averaging double digits, and he's shooting the lights out. It is they find these guys, <laughs> you know. It's and, and when you do it over and over and over, it's it you can't write it off. It's not an accident. Yeah, that's somehow the program, right? The some their evaluation system is better than other places. I mean, right? Yeah, for for what they for what they want. It, it definitely, definitely is. They they can historically, Bo Ryan did it, Greg Gard does it. It's not a surprise because Greg Gard was his lead assistant during that period. So Greg Gard's been doing this for 20-some years. He has a very good idea of what he wants and what's going to work well in his system, and this is just the latest example. So next is Carter Gilmore. He's a 6'7 junior He's the one who played in place of Wall and would do it again if Walter can't play. He's averaging 3.1 points a game and a little under three rebounds a game in 19 minutes. He shoots 43, 30, and 27. He's not Tyler Wall. That's the, that's the thing. You know, <laughs> right. gives him a physical a physical presence. You know, he's a again we've seen these guys at Wisconsin for years. He's six seven, but about two thirty, um, so he's strong. Um, he can do some things, but he's not a shooting threat really. And he's not nearly the the kind of finisher in the paint that Wall is. That's the difference. Next would be Marcus Ilver, 6'8", sophomore, averaging two points a game and a rebound a game in just seven minutes. Uh, he shoots 35, 27, and 100 in obviously limited volume. Product of Estonia, um, starting to play a little bit this year for them. But, you know, again, was the other thing that's remained constant about Wisconsin under Greg Gard is much like Bo Ryan, he doesn't he doesn't come from the Tom Izzo school. The the rotation tends to be tight, and even some of the guys that are in the rotation nominally are are just that. They're nominally there. They're not playing heavy minutes. You know, heavy minutes typically, Wisconsin's going to go about seven deep, and that's what this team is doing. You know, you the first two guys you mentioned are playing significant minutes off the bench. And that's kind of about where it stops. Right. And so the next one to your point is Isaac Lindsay averaging only five and a half minutes a game, six, five sophomore played 11 games a season, averaging one and a half points on 38, 33 and 50 shooting. Yeah. And that, again, you know, the, these are, these are guys we're talking about now that don't necessarily play in every game even. Right. And then finally, Kamari McGee, six foot sophomore transfer from green Bay, also played only 11 games a season and averaging just six minutes a game and doesn't even average a point a game. Same, same story, you know, transfer up. He played his freshman year at green Bay and made the horizon league all freshman team, but uh, the jump up in competition can be significant. And, and because Hepburn is playing so well, they don't want that guy off the floor very much. No, (laughs) absolutely not. All right, we're going to break for just a moment do the, and then return with the five keys to the game. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire 
faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so for the five keys, number one is defending the arc. So obviously, Wisconsin relies on three-point shot. Uh, they're going to, they have their motion offense, which seems to get guys open a lot. They do lots of screen action by kind of, it seems like everybody, to get shooters free. Yeah, and that's that's one of the reasons why I mentioned, you know, it, it it's a lot like it was. It's not exactly the same offense, but it's it's a lot like it was with Bobby Knight's Indiana or currently Matt Painter's Purdue. If you'll notice, Purdue very rarely has a true point guard. I think this year with the freshman Smith is the closest they've been to having one of those guys in a long time. Um, but that motion offense is designed to find a good shot where it where it becomes available, right? You're not, you're not trying necessarily to get the ball to a certain guy at a certain spot on the floor. It it's a little more, um, uh, I don't want to say happenstance, but it's, it's not, it's not directed as much in that way. And so that means that you don't necessarily need one guy orchestrating, but what you do need is you need a bunch of guys that are all capable of screening well, passing well, and ideally shooting well, because you can't know for sure what the motion offense is going to produce in terms of a good shot. And so if there's an open 15 to 18 footer, you, you'd like to have guys capable of shooting it. That's why I, you know, going back to Bob Knight's Indiana, they were a, a really a pioneer in the big 10 in terms of big men that could shoot. You know, it wasn't, if, if you're talking about the seventies or the eighties, usually teams were playing two post players who were both big and, and usually not always, but usually were guys that, you know, were limited mostly to scoring around the basket. Indiana wasn't ever that way. They used to have, you know, six, eight, six, nine power forwards who could shoot. And it's because the motion offense, if you don't have that, it could gum up the works. So anyway, all that aside, MSU's got to be locked in, particularly on the three guys that are the big time right. shooting threats. As I said at the outset, if Wisconsin's not getting a lot of production from three, it can be a struggle for them to score. And that's what you want. You want to limit their success from three as much as possible. Yeah. And this is the kind of game where you could imagine Jackson having Jackson Kohler having a little bit more success defensively that he's not having to worry about defending a three-point threat, at least out on the line, right? Stephen Kroll's not going to be hitting the threes, and even Tyler Wall, right? So that's why this is not, as you mentioned earlier, this is not the same type of Wisconsin team where, where all five guys are threats behind the like, like with Frank Kaminsky, you know, where you had, where you, it could come, the pain could come from anywhere. Oh, God. I mean, if you think even back to a couple of years ago where they had a lean forward play in the four, it, it was a different, it was a different deal. You know, they've had teams where they had all five guys that were shooting threats. This one is not that way. So you would think 
that gives you an easier opportunity defensively to lock in on the guys who are legit threats. But, you know, that's easy to say. <laughs> yeah, you gotta go. They also rub their stuff pretty well, and they'll find ways to get those guys shots, even if you're focused on them. Exactly. All right, and so since these are mirror image teams in many ways, they're profiled, the number two key to the game is for Michigan State to hit their threes. And so, um, you know, has did not shoot the three real well against Michigan. Well, actually really poorly compared to what usually they do. And even the game before against Nebraska was an okay effort. Um, so, you know, get back to hitting, certainly hitting wide open threes and things like that, which they probably won't have like they did against Michigan. Yeah, they basically had, you know, both games – uh, Nebraska and Michigan, reasonably good first halves. Even yesterday, it's Michigan. I think they were four for 11 at the half Yeah, from three. And, and then the second halves, they struggled. Uh, the good news is, uh, especially again, in the Michigan game, they were generating a ton of open looks. I mean, the offense getting guys shots, good shots, has not been a problem. It was just knocking them down. So, the same thing I just said about Wisconsin holds true for Michigan State, though. If this Michigan State team is not productive from three, it can be hard for them to score a lot. So on the MSU side, what you're hoping for is that you're going to continue to generate those good looks and that they, they go down with a little more frequency. Right. And the number three key to the game, turnovers. Michigan State, despite having double-digit turnovers against Michigan, is still a top 50 turnover percent team. But you know, batters are even better. They're top ten, and so uh, you know, right. can you keep that close? And you're not probably going to turn them at Wisconsin over much, but can you limit your at least the dumb mistakes that you've had in the past? I think that the likelihood, you know, Wisconsin, as we've said, does two things really well offensively. I don't think you're likely to to be able to get them into a higher turnover game. Um, so the one thing you hope you can control is the three point element, right? Yep. In this phase of the game, you know, it's unusual in that we usually look at an MSU Wisconsin game and we say, okay, there's going to be a gap in turnovers. MSU has got to produce a similar or better gap on the boards in order to, you know, to have a shot to win. That's not the case here. It's neither team rebounds. Well, both teams are pretty good at avoiding mistakes. So I think it means here, what you're looking for is something similar to yesterday. MSU had 12 turnovers, Michigan at 10. Was there a gap? Yes, but it was tiny. A two to three turnover gap is not going to be a big deal. If it's five or six, six or seven, seven or eight, that's a bigger deal. I think as an MSU fan, just I, at least this is the way I think about it. I love the fact that they've been able to do that this year because especially with the way they haven't rebounded, they've needed to to make up for that. But, um, you just, I, I never quite trust it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I keep waiting, Track record. keep waiting for the, Oh God, he's, you know, here's, you know, five turnovers in a row. You keep waiting for it. And, and so I'm cautious in, in terms of just expecting it. You know, a Wisconsin fan can go at every game and say, hey, I expect that we're going to have single digit turnovers like 10 at the most. Because they've done it for years and years and years. We don't. You, yeah, you just said it. Track record. Right. Yeah. Uh, but Michigan State needs to hold their mistakes down here, because if you start getting into an area where 
Wisconsin is has got a significant advantage in terms of scoring opportunities. It's going to be very tough to win. Right. Well, and you definitely felt that in the Michigan game that there were like five turnovers for Michigan State. I want to say the first like six, seven minutes, it seemed like there were a ton early. Yep. Uh, and unfortunately, Michigan had a bunch too. So. Yep. And, and, and then MSU was able, as Michigan did also, to clean it up. I mean, the second half, both teams was much, much cleaner. Yeah, except they're shooting. <laughs> so, and, well, yeah, cleaner and turnovers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, the number four key to the game are fouls. So, can Michigan State defend without fouling? You don't certainly want to lose Sissoko inside and uh, or have problems with, which we've seen in the past, with either Walker or Hogard going down with two fouls and having to sit a large portion of the first half on the bench. Yeah, you know, but again, another similarity with these teams, and it's. It's another way in which this Michigan State team is very unusual. Michigan State teams typically foul a lot. That's that's part of the – it goes with the territory in terms of being an aggressive and physical defense over the years that they tend to foul a lot. This team isn't. They're, they're not – believe it or not, I know anecdotally that might seem – it might seem that you focus as an MSU fan on oh, how many fouls get called and how many free throws the other team is shooting. <laughs> but honestly, the statistics tell the story. This is a pretty good team in terms of avoiding fouls. So is Wisconsin. It's just Wisconsin. Historically, that's how they're built. They don't, they don't foul much MSU. This is a difference. You don't want to have a big disparity there. And the reason I bring it up as a major issue for MSU is they're on the road. So you expect that you're not going to get as kind a whistle. Um, and so you just, you have to, you have to hope that you can, you can guard effectively um, without getting handsy, without reaching, you know, all that stuff. Well, the heckler behind me certainly disagrees with you that Michigan State is not fouling as much this season. So, <laughs> well, he's wrong because <laughs> this, the stats are there. And again, it's another way I keep, I keep bringing out this MSU this year is Wisconsin thing, and I don't want to believe it. Nobody wants to believe it, but the numbers, <laughs> you just go down the line, the things they're doing well, the things they're not doing well, and man, it checks in. The fifth and final key is focus. Wisconsin uses the full shot clock. They play at a slow pace. They just run that continuous motion offense. Can you stay fo can focus and stay locked in for the full 30 seconds of the shot clock? I think that's always the biggest part of the test against the Wisconsin team is they're going at both ends. They're going to force you to stay focused for the full 30 seconds. You know, offensively, they're they're not looking for quick shots. So they're going to and they're going to keep moving the ball, moving the ball until they get a matchup they like or you break down defensively. And it's. You know, it's the old thing about you can play great defense for 25 seconds and then you take that five second vacation and you pay for mm -hmm. it against this team because this team, again, they won't beat themselves and they will force you to stay concentrated. At the other end, they tend to play good enough, sound enough defense that they're often going to force you into using a lot of your clock. So can you stay focused enough to not make mistakes, to keep grinding, keep running your stuff and be able to hit some shots in late clock situations? You know, those are the ways that they really test you mentally as much as anything else. So we'll see. Uh, 
again, this Michigan State team is the slowest paced Michigan State team in forever. <laughs> they are not. I know we think about MSU the way we historically see them, but this team is not playing fast. Now, some of that was a function of the injuries, I think, which forced them to go at things a little bit differently because of the personnel, lack of depth, et cetera. They're now back to full strength, and I do think we've seen them try to push the ball somewhat more often than they were earlier, but they're still not flying up and down the court. So it's gonna, it's likely going to be two teams running a lot of clock, not even necessarily by design always, but also because the other defense is forcing them to. And so it's going to be a game where that level of focus is going to be really important. Yeah. Maybe first to 60 wins the game, right? I think, you know, Oh yeah. It's definitely shapes up as that kind of game. And, and honestly, if you're Michigan state and you hold, you hold these guys under 60, you feel good about your chances to win because you haven't lost a game like that yet. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it definitely is shaping up as that kind of game. Now watch it be 88, 80, <laughs> but, uh, but I doubt it. I don't, I don't see that as very likely. Yeah. It's interesting. I feel like for a long time, especially when Bill Ryan was there, Cole center was pretty much a, you could almost just write down an L and just assume you're not going to get away from there. Yeah. It's sort of like West Lafayette. And it has been kinder to Michigan State in the in the recent past. I think I I haven't looked at the actual uh, results in the last ten years or so, but it feels like it's a place where Michigan State has come away successful more often than not. Yeah, I'd have to I'd have to look back at at the recent track record. I will say, you know, Wisconsin is the converse. Wisconsin's working on a two game win streak at Breslin. Right. So there's that. You know, it's gone the other way as well. But you're right. I mean, as I pointed out earlier, they MSU won at Kohl Center last year. You know, it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't have that feel. You're right that it used to. That's not to say it isn't a very difficult building to win in. Of course it is um, because they're a good team and they got a good crowd. So that usually makes it tough to win. Um, But it doesn't feel the way it used to. I I would say like the first 10 years or so, but I like, I remember MSU winning at Cole, I believe Draymond's senior year. And it felt monumental. Yeah, like they hadn't won there in years. Because they just didn't win there. And that since then, I feel like not that it's one you you count on or win more often than not, but it's happened more often and you don't feel that sense of impending doom. Whereas West Lafayette <laughs> was that way for forever. Then there was a brief period where they were kind of down a little bit where it didn't feel that way. And now of late, we're right back to, you know, house of horrors. You can't possibly win. That's how Cole center used to be. And I, I agree with you. I don't think it's quite been that lately, but still very difficult place to win. No question about that. Well, and again, if you have any aspirations for winning the big 10, if you steal a couple road wins, we already stole one, I think at Penn state blue one against Northwestern at home. You know, you want to try and absolutely hold serve at home and then steal. I mean, really, you have to win four or five on the road somewhere to pull out a Big Ten championship. And so this would be an opportunity to, especially if Tyler Wall is not available. Uh, Wisconsin is a three-point favorite uh, per Ken Palm. And that, of course, is very much influenced by whether Tyler Wall is playing. And so we'll see what happens. Yeah, there. it's a, that's a big factor. And, and obviously, you know, MSU's got got to play well. 
you're not going to go into this building yesterday. Let, let's be honest. Uh, Michigan state did not play its a game. It didn't play its B game, <laughs> No, but they won because I don't think Michigan's very good. And MSU was at home. Those were two big factors, you know, they're on the road in this one. And I think Wisconsin's a better team than Michigan. How much better? I don't know, but I think they're a better team. So you don't have those advantages working for you, which means you probably are not going to be able to go out there and play a substandard game and think you're going to win. So MSU has got to play well, regardless of whether wall suits up or not. But look, this, this, we've got this stretch of games coming up that is very challenging to say the least. Uh, but the first two that present themselves are these consecutive road games at Wisconsin and then at Illinois. And there are opportunities here. And if you want to be a big 10 contender, not that it's a, you know, a must, but ideally you would like to at least split these two. Right. If you're going to be a contender, you'd like to find a way to win one of them. And if you lose the other, okay, not the end of the world. Cause you got one. That would be a big deal to have, you know, two of your first three on the road in the win column in this league. You know, that's, that's not an easy thing to do. So uh, I agree. I think there's an opportunity here, but you know, these teams, just up and down the league right now, these teams are are so evenly matched when you look at the totality of it, you know, add up all the strengths and weaknesses, not a lot of advantages. The, the tough thing about this game, I would say, is Michigan State goes into pretty much any Big Ten game, and I think they have an edge in the backcourt. This one is about as close as we're going to find to a situation where I might be inclined to call it closer to even. I still think MSU has an edge, but it's not as decisive as it was, say, against Michigan. You know, Um, because Hepburn has really elevated his play. Uh, the, The one thing is they're a young group. You've got a sophomore, a junior transfer, and a freshman are their top three guards. And MSU has an experience advantage, but Wisconsin's guards are also the strength of their team, in my opinion, you know? And so that's going to, that's going to also be a challenge for MSU. Can they carve out a real edge at, at those couple of spots? Yeah, well, we'll see. And uh, we'll be back with the post-game analysis after the game on Tuesday. So until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.